0: Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium, and of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now, back to our daily author interview site, and a quick hello from some of my kids.
1: Hi! Hi! Hello!
0: Enjoy the show! Zoe Whittle is the author of The Spectacular, a novel. Zoe is also the author of three previous novels, including The Giller Shortlisted, The Best Kind of People the Lambda-winning Holding Still for as Long as Possible, and her debut, Bottle Rocket Hearts. She has published three collections of poetry, The Best Ten Minutes of Your Life, Pre-Cordial Thump, and The Emily Valentine Poems. She is also a Canadian Screen Award-winning TV and Film Writer, with credits on The Baroness Von Sketch Show, Schitt's Creek, Degrassi, and others. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the spectacular... Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Would you mind telling listeners what your book
2: is about? Sure. So The Spectacular is a book about three generations of women. It spans a lot of time. So, There's a scene in 1910 and 22, and then it goes right up to 2015. And it's a hard book to pitch in a logline, but it's basically... (laughs) It's basically a book that looks at the idea of whether or not each each of the three characters, whether or not they want to have kids at three different points in their life. And so they all at one point choose to have a kid and choose not to have a kid at various points and why. And it's also a story just generally about sexual autonomy, attachment, and motherhood. I think that was a good job at the log line. I mean,
0: you know. I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) I read your beautiful essay about your own experience with your pregnancy and pregnancy loss and it was mm-hmm. so moving and beautiful and amazing and I felt like it put the book into more of a context for me or you know just as background can you speak mm-hmm. to that a little bit and if you don't want to talk about it that's also fine
2: no that's fine yeah it was really weird like i people when people ask me for you know what inspired the book i basically spent every single day of my 30s waking up and asking myself should i should i have a baby today like i just have always wanted a kid and, but my life never really supported it. Like I never had, I had two back to back, back to back monogamous partners in my 30s and 40s who uh, the first one didn't want children. And the second one already had two kids and didn't want more. And so, you know, I left that original relationship because she didn't want to, she didn't want to have a kid. And, and then when I fell in love with my ex partner, I felt like, oh, I can be a stepmom. You know, I was trying to look at my life you know cuz you always have dreams of what your life is going to look like and it never looks the way you anticipate even if you do and you know get certain things that you've dreamed of and so i really took this like emotional reckoning i've been having for a long time and this sort of procrastination about whether or not to have kids or not and put it into these characters and sort of took this emotional problem made it a little bit of an intellectual project and funny thing is i wrote most of the book when i was with my ex partner and then we had right before the pandemic he left me And it was really devastating. And I was forty three, and did not think it was possible for me to get pregnant. I don't know why. I had read a statistic about it being like zero percent chance of doing it on my own. And a lot of my friends have been trying for years, and gone. You know, so many of my friends have gone through IVF. And anyway, I just was careless with a a new lover, and it and it happened. And I felt like it was. You know, I'm not a religious person, but I did feel like fate or God or someone had intervened to be like, here is your last chance. And it was a beautiful feeling because I had so much anxiety about whether or not I would be a good mother, whether or not I should do it. I never really had money before the previous five years. And so like that was also a factor, all the practical details. It felt like this moment of everything coming together to be like, here is your moment, you could do it now. And it was just amazing. And I felt incredible pregnant and it was devastating when I lost the baby. And that happened right at the beginning of the pandemic as I was sort of going through the final draft of the spectacular. And I felt like, how weird, like how strange to be writing. You know, I knew I knew that I wanted the book to end the way it did and I won't give it away, but I knew that I, I wrote that ending before I actually broke up with my ex-partner. And so it was already there, but I did feel like it was a little twist of irony when I was pregnant that I was going to potentially be touring the book with a four-month-old because originally the pub date was earlier. And so, yeah, I mean, life just works out that way sometimes and, and we have to roll with it. And I think that's a lot of what this book is about. Wow. And you wrote
0: also about the devastation, not only, and I'm so sorry for that happening and your loss. And
2: Thank you. You're
0: being left. I mean, this is so, I mean, you seem like such an amazing person and don't deserve, not that anyone deserves (laughs) it, but I'm just so sorry that it happened to you you. and how you had to go through it like alone, you know, as, as so many people who have lost people during the pandemic, you know, Mm -hmm. you were mourning. You're like, you wanted to be with your friends and yet what could you do except for zoom therapy or, you know, Mm -hmm. hanging with your TV screen or whatever. I mean, that's like one of the most, horrible parts is this lack of connection, right? Yeah. Especially when you need it emotionally, because there's really just nothing the same as a, a
2: hug on a day when you feel like life okay. is just not going to get better. And it was that time of the pandemic where we didn't kn- really know anything. Like, I think it was even before people were really wearing masks and like, anyway, it was terrible. I'm not so that sorry. Over. Do you
0: feel like you worked through some issues, so to speak, writing the book, like analyzing it and... You know, I always feel like if I can quantify something that's really emotionally (laughs) an issue, like if I could somehow change it into like an equation or something that maybe it can help, like, do you feel like it had any sort of therapeutic or
2: do you feel like you've come to some resolution with it now or anything like that? I think it's an ongoing thing for me, but I do think that like, you know, I'm an Aquarius. I don't know if you believe in astrology. I do. I do. uh, I'm a Leo. (laughs) Oh, nice. Oh, good. Supposed to be good friends. And so I do feel like somehow, even if, you know, even if I'm very if I approach the art of storytelling from a very intellectual place and I think about it in aesthetics and style and language, I'm also sort of always underneath wrestling with ideas. Like there's always a question at the heart of everybody's body of work. And I think you know, I think it was the poet Tony Hoagland had a great line in one of his books of poetic essays about how every rest, every writer has an irresolvable obsession and that it infiltrates all of their work. And I feel like all my irresolvable obsession is like existential. It's, all, it's about anxiety. I've struggled with anxiety disorder. And so in some ways, in every book, anxiety comes up at the core. And so I feel like in some ways... The book was a way for me to put ideas in my head about about motherhood and, and being pregnant and having a family and, and all of these things. Put them into to three different perspectives and were, was able to kind of play it out in these various scenes. And so, in some ways, in some ways, it helped me resolve. You know, I've also been one of these people that I've always wanted kids, but I've also always had a really full life without them. And so, in some ways, it was interesting to play out the 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 characters in their li- in the fullness of their lives with outside of their identity as parents. You know, I loved your
0: opening scene with where all the doctors are trying to dissuade Missy from having her tubes tied and saying like they know more than her because she's so young and she's the granddaughter obviously in the story and you go through, you know, setting the stage for how she even came to be and seeing all the different vantage points of everything. But, you know, this whole notion of, are you really in control of your own reproduction? I feel like is at the center because men are, you know, the doctors and particularly male doctors are telling her like, you can't do this and you shouldn't do this. And, when is it okay for you to make up your mind? Does Mm -hmm. you have to wait to a certain age? You know, is it fair that men can have it reversed, right? And women cannot, right? Mm -hmm. So all
2: these issues. It's crazy. And you know, I took that scene from the real life experience of one of my friends who was 38 years old at the time and knew her entire life that she didn't want children and was just so tired of the way different birth controls made her feel and affected her life. And so she went to like, that many doctors in Montreal to try to get the procedure done, even though she was 38 and single and knew what she wanted in her life, they wouldn't allow her. And so I just couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that, you know, you can get vasectomies for any, any time you want. And women don't have that option. And I just think it's, it's so weird. And it's weird, especially, you know, because you can't, because abortion is legal here and it's just, it's so bananas to me. And I felt like what, what would that scene, how would that scene play out if somebody was younger? And that's sort of where the inspiration came. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. You've had a lot of experiences with both men and women, and you have a whole essay, I think, in L or somewhere else, about sort of this notion of fem and how mm-hmm. it's how it, the sort of mainstream depiction of a certain type of person has shifted over time and all of that. How do you feel like that has influenced your writing?
2: Well, yes. So I I came out in 1995 when I was 18, and I came out as bi, but I was very Lesbian identified for a long time. Just had many girlfriends over and over, so it was sort of just culturally felt like a good fit for me to be to identify as queer. And then, but I always sort of knew I was bi. And then, you know, in my 30s, began dating some men. And and it's not it's not easy. I don't think I've ever felt like an ease with the word bisexual. I feel like it's an awkward word, and there are so many misconceptions and stereotypes that from both sides, from the queer community and from straight world. So that's another thing that, you know, in my 40s, I'm getting more at peace with, I guess. And, and so in terms of my writing, it's always been very important to me to write about queer community and to, you know, it's, it's very funny how when we were preparing the promo materials for this book, I was trying to think of other examples of, of literary work about queer femmes who date butches or masculine people or trans men or people along the masculine spectrum. If you need definitions, just feel free to, to interrupt. But um, it was really hard. It was hard to find contemporary work. And I feel like there's been this explosion of trans writers and a more, and more acceptance of, of gay male writers in the literary establishment. And the, just the it hasn't been the same with queer women in some ways. And so I was really, I've always been really excited to sort of put the world I know. Even though I don't write nonfiction necessarily, I've always been really thrilled at the idea of like representing the world that I live in, in literature. Not that it's always been easy because it's really, you know, up until five years ago it was very, very difficult to sell. And in fact, my first major commercial success, The Best Kind of People wasn't queer themed at all. So, you know, it's a bit of a struggle in terms of trying to make a living telling queer stories. And I think it's, it's getting easier now, which is lovely. But so important. I mean, this this goes back to,
0: you know, from the dawn of time, sort of how, you know, people of color couldn't find themselves in literature. And so, I mean, I just had Jewel Parker Rhodes on my show oh. again. I love her. I've done like four things with her. And she literally didn't know like that black people could write until she was in college. She like didn't wow. even know that was a thing. And it's the same if you don't have the model, if you don't read it and hear it it's such a lost cause there's so many people who identify the same way. So, you know, you're writing about it is like a mitzvah to all these people who are coming after you. So that's really awesome. How did you even get your start writing? How did, did you always know you wanted to write or how did it begin?
2: So I started as a poet and I always loved, I was a, a super like book nerd as a kid and I, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in university, my mother asked me, she said, oh, well, I heard this thing that if you don't know what you'd like to study, you should think about what you really love to do when you were three. And, and I was like, well, I don't remember. (laughs) And she said that I used to dictate stories to her so that she, and she would write them down before I knew how to write. And I actually, you know, was the, when I got to kindergarten, I was the only one who already knew how to read. And, It was just always such a passion from a very young age. And so I applied to study creative writing in university and started as a poet and it was sort of more of a hobby. And the idea of writing a novel felt very lofty. It felt very like only very special people, you know, it kind of feels like an elitist occupation. And so I was really, I wasn't confident enough to try for a number of years. And then finally, I wrote a collection of short stories and one of the stories just kept getting longer and longer. And the editor I was working with at the time said, why don't you just make this into a novel? And I, that was a real gift of an observation because I ended up really loving the form of the novel. Like I love having that much space to work in. And so then it kind of went from there. That was a real revelation. And that was in the the early 2000s. So yeah, my first poetry book came out when I was 25. So it's been over 20 years now that I've been hustling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And what do you do when you're not writing?
2: When I'm not writing, well, I'm really fortunate that I have been able to write full time for the last six or seven years. And I also write for television. And so that's mostly what I do is write. And before that, I had lots of different odd jobs. I used to teach and I was a freelance journalist for a while and I worked in publicity and did a a lot of things. So I'm really happy to, to be waking up and being able to write in my own house is just like a dream come true for me. But I mean, and also what do you do like outside of work? Like what are your (laughs) Right. Well, in the pandemic, like not a whole lot. I feel like I'm going to learn to cross country ski this year because I just moved to the country and I feel like, okay, that's a thing I can do. I have a yard that I'm going to start gardening in the spring. That's my new goal as well. And yeah, I just, I really love pop culture and theater and comedy. I do do stand up comedy as a bit of a hobby sometimes. That's how I got into TV. That's awesome! I love it. And what are you reading now? Like, what types of books do you like to read? Well, right now, what am I reading? I'm reading Intimacies, Mm -hmm. and it's not in front of me, so I can't remember the author's name. I apologize. I also just finished the Sally Rooney, which the new Sally Rooney, which was incredible, of course. And I read. I, I feel like this is such a boring answer because everybody has read these books in the last few months. But I finished Crossroads by Jonathan Franzen, and I love his work. I'm a bit of an apologist. I feel like it, for a long time, it wasn't very cool to to love Franzen, but I, I just feel like he's, you know, he's the kind of writer where you're just sort of immediately immersed. And I think this book was is, is pretty funny as well. And I appreciate that. Awesome.
0: What advice do
2: you have for aspiring authors? Oh, interesting. Advice for aspiring authors. I feel like these are this is advice taken from my own mistakes to not submit work until you've rewritten something like often i say 10 times like i think the the draft you submit should look almost nothing like the first draft and if you can if you can be patient enough to put the work in a in a drawer for a few months and then go back to it before you submit it and also just to make sure that if you want to write a contemporary novel that you read a lot of contemporary novels that you know what's out there and what what kind of books your conver- your books will, your own book will be in conversation with and also just to You know, there's a lot of mystique around like how you get a book published, the the specialness of, of having a book out, but really like the difference between someone who has a book and someone who doesn't is that you just, you know, sat your butt in a chair and did it wrote every day. You know, it's a lot about like staying the course more than any kind of magical talent intervention.
0: And are you working
2: on anything new that you can talk about? Yes. So I have a book of short stories called Wild Failure coming out in 2023. And also I have another novel called The Fake. And it's actually, it's a book about two people who get taken in by a con artist, a really charismatic con artist. And it's sort of inspired by the experience I had dating a woman when I was in my late 20s who lied to me about having cancer. And so oh, inspired by that experience, which was wild. It took, you know, taken 15 years to be able to write about it, but it's a, so it's a little bit of a thriller and a, an emotional suspense book that I'm excited about. Wow.
0: Isn't that, is, I'm, this, I'm going to sound stupid now. Isn't that what Munchausen's disease is when you yeah. pretend that like somebody has cancer or something, it's the same, right?
2: Yes, yes. And, you know, I don't really know what her pathology was in particular. I think there was some element of Munchausen's in there. And so trying to create a character with similar story, it was been really just interesting to do the research and to figure out like how, what makes somebody that immersed in a fallacy, you know, mm-hmm. fascinating.
0: Wow. Do you know an author named Andrea Dunlop? She's done a lot of public work on, on that same theme. I can introduce I you,
2: but you. I would love I just, to, to write that name down. Yeah. She, does, does she have a book? She has a book. She has,
0: I can say, I'll can. i send you more information. Okay, um, great. Thank her. you. But yeah, she's awesome. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Did I forget thank anything? You. How can people find you? How can people follow oh. you
2: and find you and all that good stuff? So I'm on Twitter, Zoe Whittall. All one word, and I'm also on Instagram, and I have a link tree that you can link to. Yeah, that's about it. I thought it was so cool that you you don't have a website,
0: right? It's only on your link tree.
2: It's just my link tree. I felt like keeping my website updated was really arduous, and like I felt like a link tree is a little more as a way to have it more contemporary, like yeah, easier to update and relevant. yeah, I
0: wonder if we're all moving in that direction. Maybe, right, anyway. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has thank been you. really nice, and um, wonderful. I'm delighted to get to know you, and thank you for sharing all of your personal stuff so early in the morning. As thank I like you. dive into you know all the all the nitty gritty. So I really I wish you all the best, and wherever you end up on this you know childhood spectrum. And anyway, I'll be thinking of you.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much for this, and thanks so much for the Good Morning America blog. That was really amazing. <laughs>